0: very much. Do you like our new sign? You can find anything on the internet. I typed the word inspire in and did a little bit of a search and a whole lot came up. And then this one came up and I fell in love with it. I thought that's it, that's what I need. So that's our new branding. Well, wonderful to be with you. I'm gonna be sharing on the book of Ruth, but there's gonna be a little bit of a break between things because I'll be sharing in two weeks time on Ruth chapter two And then in the last week of March, sadly I won't be here, I'd already made a commitment to go down to Barrel, New South Wales, to teach at the Bible school down there. So Brian is going to lead us for that service. And then for the Wednesday before Easter, obviously we're going to have more of an Easter type service. So what I'm saying is we're going to do two sessions on Ruth, and then we're going to have a little break, and then we're going to come back and do... Chapter three and four. Why, why the book of Ruth? Well, I love Ruth. I absolutely love the story of Ruth. A beautiful story of God's provision and uh, God's blessing on this family that endured so much. Also, it's a little short book. We can cover it in four sessions, a chapter each each session. And also, it's from the Old Testament. I kind of feel We hear so much from the New Testament, which is good, that's all good, but I'm also a lover of the Old Testament. I love how God blesses people and God's grace and mercy through the Old Testament. So that's why I've chosen the book of Ruth, and maybe it's a book that you haven't read recently, and this will inspire, inspire you to go home and read the other chapters. You can just read it in a short amount of time, which is all good. Loyalty, if there's one theme that I think about of the book of Ruth, particularly in chapter one, it's the word loyalty. And we know, we experience loyalty, don't we? People who belong to some kind of sporting team know about loyalty, they're loyal to that team. Even though, and this quite surprises me, players come and go, if they get offered more money by a different team, they'll be off from that team somewhere else, even though coaches come and go, if they too, perhaps the sack, they're not performing so well, and we've seen this with the Broncos recently, and they'll head off to another team. And so what you're left with in the end is the most loyal people are actually the fans, the fans themselves, not the players or the coaches. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld, he says this, when you're actually supporting a team, he said, what you're actually cheering on or barracking for is the jersey because he said everything else just comes and goes, but the jersey remains. And I thought that's so true, isn't it? That's what we're actually cheering on, that piece of clothing on their backs. You would kind of remember, I think many of you, there was a period, sadly, not existing anymore, when in Australia, you would either be a Holden fan or you would be a Ford fan, and you couldn't cross either way. Remember hearing, because I owned a Holden, Ford fit only for the rubbish dump. That's what we would say. (laughs) And of course, Ford people, they had something for Holden as well. I can't remember what it was, but they had something on their side as well. We know loyalty because of course, also if you frequent any cafe or anything recently, you get one of those little cards, those loyalty cards. You know, come and get five coffees here, and then the sixth one will be free. They want you to keep coming back all the time. All the time. And in the past 20 years, they said there's there's, there's been a big change in the generation that people are no longer loyal to brands. So when I grew up, it was a kind of thing was you you stuck with a brand and you stayed with that brand. I remember. You know, wearing Levi's jeans for years and years and years because that was the brand that I was loyal to. Degeneration generation today, they say, no, they're not loyal like we were in our generation. That if a better product comes on the market, they will change quickly. So if Samsung brings out a better phone than an Apple does with their iPhone, guess what? Everybody will get rid of their iPhones and they'll switch over to Samsung or vice versa. And so companies these days are having to find it a big challenge, a huge challenge in fact, to keep their market because they just can't rely on loyalty as they did in the past. Of course, we also see it in church, don't we? There was a period of time where if you grew up in a Baptist church, you stayed a Baptist. That's the way it was, or another denomination. And I'm guilty of this myself having grown up in Brighton, began in the Presbyterian Church. My father was a lay preacher. But then when I got to my teenage years, the youth group at that church was pretty much non-existent. It had a big wave of youth come in before me. But when I was about 14, 15, it died down really next to nothing. But the Baptist Church down the road, they had the youth group to go to. And so my friends invited me one day and said, Neil, come, come to our youth group. And so I shifted camps, moved over and started attending the youth group of the Baptist Church of Brighton there, got involved with scripture union, beach missions. And so then it was a natural course of having become a member of a Baptist church to then to go to the Baptist college. But you might have even experienced, as I've known people as well, that if a church doesn't have anything for their children or youth, then parents will move from that church and go to another church where they want their children and youth to grow up hearing and knowing the Lord themselves. That's happened to be a lot. This, This thing of denominational loyalty really is fading out quite quickly. Loyalty is defined in the dictionary, I'm sure that you'd know this as well as the state or quality of being faithful to commitments or obligations to a sovereign, to a government leader, or to a cause. And when I have a look at Ruth chapter one, the one thing, the one theme that stands out for me is this theme of loyalty. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I encourage you to bring them to inspire, I'm going to read from Ruth chapter one, Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, back each of you to your mother's house may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me the Lord grant that you might find security each of you in the house of your husband then she kissed them and they wept aloud and they said to her no we will return with you to your people but Naomi said turn back my daughters why will you go with me Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back my daughters, go your way for I'm too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. Now when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, call me no longer Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has dealt harshly with me? and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned together with Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, who came back with her from the country of Moab. They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. It's said that though the book of Ruth is written sometime after the book of Judges, it was most likely written sometime during the period between David being king of Judah, the two tribes in the south, and then becoming king of Israel, the ten tribes in the north. So sometime during that period is when the book of Ruth was written. A severe famine has occurred, and it's said that most likely it's referring to a time in the time of Gideon, in the time in the book of Judges. Well, chapter one introduces us to six characters, six characters. And you might know that in the Old Testament times, a name would be associated with the character of a person. So I kind of get the impression that a child would be born and then maybe after a short time, then they have a look at the baby and decide this is the name that's most appropriate for this child. For instance, Elimelech, his name means my God is king. My God is king. And he was married to Naomi, whose wife's name means my delight, my sweetness, or the pleasant one. Well, they're two good names to start with, aren't they? My God, my king, sweetness, pleasantness, my delight. But the two boys that were born to them Their names mean this, Marlon means weak or sickly and Kilion means wasting or pining. And so straight away you get the impression that these two boys didn't enjoy very good health. Why that they should name these two boys? Again, maybe I go back to that they saw the children, the boys to begin with and then gave them their names. Well, famine took over the land and instead of suffering through it like all the rest of the other families did and most probably would have done, this family decided to up and move, make that long journey south down to Moab. The word fields that is mentioned to us there says to us that they were going to the region where the crops were in Moab. They weren't going up into the hill country, But they, of course, having just, or having experienced famine, were going to an area where there would be an abundance of food. And again, Scripture tells us that the word sojourn there implies that they weren't going to go down and live there forever. This is just going to be for some time, and then they would make their journey back to Israel. Well, in all probability, because no other family is mentioned, it seems to be as if they were the only family that made this journey. We know that the famine was severe for a number of reasons. First of all, it was just a local famine and that if it was possible for go somewhere else in Israel, they would have gone there also. So it was just ref- contained within the country itself. It was severe enough that they were ready to get up and move from their family and friends and everything that they'd known. I mean, that would have been a huge thing, a huge task in those days, to leave everything they'd known to go somewhere else, to a foreign place. And Scripture tells us that this famine lasted some 10 years. Now, remembering that it's writing or it's being written about a time in the book of Judges, and Judges, in the book of Judges, God brings famine over a land as judgment, as judgment to the people that they are not walking in his ways. They're not fulfilling his law. So the famine was contained to Israel, not to Moab, which was the country just to the south. Well, they made this journey and it was wrong. They shouldn't have gone. It was wrong for three reasons. Deuteronomy 23, 5 and 6 says that the Moabites were barred from participating in the life of Israel and that Israel was forbidden from seeking prosperity from the Moabites. It was also a wrong decision because God, if God wanted to move them out of the land, then he would have told them or he would have brought perhaps a foreign a power into the land which would force them to go like the Assyrians that came into the northern tribes and the Babylonians that came into the southern tribes. And thirdly there, Naomi recognised that her bereavement for her husband and two sons was a judgement on God, of God. So it was the wrong decision, but they had made it. So this family of four took off looking for a better life. Food and shelter in Moab. When they reached Moab they found the home that they were wanting to settle in. But sadly it wasn't too long until tragedy struck this family. Elimelech, the husband remember, he died. Well now is Naomi, foreign land, having to bring up two boys. Hard to discover, right, or think about how difficult that would have been for her without a husband and without a weekly income. God had said to the Israelites, you are to look after the widows. In fact, remember, James says that as well to the church. You are to look after the widows. But the Moabites, (laughs) that wasn't in their thinking. Well, she was able to survive. These two boys grew up and they fell in love and they fell in love with Moabite women and they married them. The law did not forbid the marriage of Jew and Moabite. The law said to the Israelites that they weren't to marry the Canaanites. But the law did also say that the Moabites were not allowed into the congregation of the Lord. That's found in Deuteronomy 23. I find it really interesting that these two boys did not marry until after their father had passed away. I just wonder if in the back of my mind they were waiting. As soon as dad passes away, then we'll be free to marry Moabite women. I'm sure their father Elimelech would have had something to say about those marriages. Well, one son, he married a, a young girl called Orpah. You wouldn't believe what her name means. Stiff-necked and firm. Stiff-necked and firm. You wouldn't win an argument with her, let me tell you. The other, the other son, he married a, a young girl called Ruth, and her names meaning a complete contrast, friendship, companion, refreshment. So even though Ruth today is is aligned with the Israelite culture, it's actually a Moabite name. Well, we're going from bad to worse, aren't we? These marriages were wrong also. The writer doesn't use the usual word for marriage, but the word that he uses actually has negative connotations to go with it. As I say, the Mosaic law didn't forbid the marrying of Moabite women, however, The Israelites were not to marry anyone who would seduce them into idolatry. The fact that they were married, these two couples, for probably 10 years and didn't have any children, again, in those days, was seen as a judgment by God. And the death of the two sons, leaving the three widows, is also portrayed in a very negative light. So, the two boys, Marlon and Killian, they, d- they died, probably from natural causes because they didn't keep good health to begin with. Well, <laughs> Naomi, now she's in a foreign land. She has two daughters in law. Her husband has passed away. Her two sons have passed away. Bereaved, wondering what's going to happen next in my life. Perhaps, you know, the next disaster that's going to come. She gets word back from Israel that the famine is over and that the people are enjoying food again. So she says to her two daughters-in-law, time to go, time to go to the land of Judah. So the three begin the journey, the journey to Bethlehem. However, on the way, Naomi has a change of heart. And she says to her two daughters-in-law that they shouldn't keep on the journey with her and that, in fact, they should go back to their own country of Moab. And she uses the word rest. Now, this is really interesting. She says to the two daughters-in-law these words, Jehovah grant you rest. Rest, in the book of Ruth, as we'll see as we get a little bit deeper over the coming weeks, is a term for marriage marriage. So what she's actually saying is this right, don't come with me, go back to Moab where you are Moabites, where you've come from, go back there and find a husband, build your own homes, have your own families. For she says it's unlikely if you come with me that you'll have any chance of marrying. Now, Naomi's use of the name Jehovah shows for us that Naomi kept faith with God, even though she was living in this foreign land of Moab, she still considered Yahweh, her God. She used the name in Moab, which also tells us that she considered that being in Moab, God is still God. That God is interested in the affairs of her family and that the two daughters-in-law had become models of God's grace in their kindness and loving devotion to Naomi, which went beyond far more than that of mere duty. So Naomi kissed them both, and they both wept. Well, initially, both women, they reject Naomi's plan. They don't think it's a good idea that they should go back. To Moab. And then Naomi gives them a second reason why and she says to them, look, if you come with me, let's think about this, right? It's unlikely that I'm going to marry again at my age, right? That's very unlikely. It's more unlikely that I'll marry and then I'll have a son and then guess what? You're going to have to wait until he grows up for you to marry him. So... What it would be, if we think for a moment, right? Her daughter-in-law, there would be something like 20, 30 year age gap. If this, of all possibility, could happen. Well, again, there's much weeping. This time, two very different physical responses. Previously, Naomi had kissed Orpah, but that wasn't the final farewell. But now we find that Orpah kisses Naomi she's saying, okay, I'm going back home. I'm going. But Ruth, however, she clung. She clung to Naomi, and the word there means to stick like glue. She says, I'm with you. Here's the loyalty being shown, isn't it? I'm with you, doing the unexpected and the extraordinary. Well, Naomi hasn't given up on Ruth telling her that she needs to go back home. Go back home to your own people, to your own God. Well, Orpah, oh, sorry, Orpah, that's what she did. She returned to her own national identity and to her God, Chemosh, which shows to us that Orpah had never actually come into the faith of belief in Yahweh. But Ruth had, Ruth had. And Ruth gives these statements of commitment to to Naomi. She says this. She says, Jehovah do so to me and more also. Here is, here is Ruth, who was a Moabite, calling upon Jehovah, Yahweh, the great God. And she's saying, God, if it be, punish me, punish me. To death, part you and me, she says to her mother-in-law, Naomi. The word death here is in an emphatic position saying, I want to be with your people and I want to continue worshipping your God. And then it says this, she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Remember that her sister's name? uh, The other girl, sorry, uh, the other lady, her name meant, her name meant firm, strong, committed, but now we see this coming through Ruth also, confirming her purpose. I'm not going to leave you. Well, what a journey. Two women travelling 140 kilometres from Moab down into the Jordan Valley and then up towards Bethlehem. When they arrive there, they find that the barley harvest has just begun. The city is so excited to welcome, welcome Naomi back. They'd never met Ruth before. It's been some 10 years. Naomi says these words, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. God has dealt bitterly with me. I've left full. I left with a husband and two sons and I've come back without them, with one daughter-in-law. Ruth also, she returned, but of course she'd never been there before, to a new environment, new people, new culture. In essence, Ruth was saying to Naomi this, I am not going to leave you, for where you go, I will go. I'm under the authority of your God. I have a new family now, your family, and I belong to your God. Wherever you die, that's where I'm going to be buried also. And if I do not do what I say, then the Lord take my life from me. There's loyalty, isn't it? Extraordinary. Living in a different land, living among different people, taking on different customs and beliefs. I've shared in previous services in the last Probably two years, the Lord has led me to mentor some Nepali guys. And I've found it extraordinary getting to know these guys who've come from Nepal, the 10th poorest country in the world, to come to Australia to study, and for a great change in their life. They've learned English, many of them before they've come here, and so now they're involved in learning Australian way of life and how we do things, sayings. My Nepalese friend who boarded with me for some eight months, constantly asking me questions. What does that mean? Why do you say that? Why do you say that? And one of them shared with me just recently in the last six months, he's sent $20,000 home to his parents. He's been working at two cafes and studying as well. The government has released the restrictions of how many hours they could work each week, 20 hours a week, to being uh, 40 hours per week, which means that they could uh, get a lot more work. And my friend told me that his parents, who used to rent, now have been able to buy a house for the very first time. He showed me a picture. And so I think of Ruth now coming to this different country, involved with different people, different cultures, but saying to Naomi, I'm with you, I'm with you. Of course, we see loyalty expressed many times through scripture, we see loyalty in David and his relationship with Jonathan, King Saul's son. Uriah, you know, the story of Uriah and his loyalty to David, although David calls him in from the war, And David wants him to sleep with Bathsheba. And and Uriah says, no, how can I? How can I do that when my men are fighting in battle? What about David's commander, Joab, who saw David's errors and, and picked them out and told him, this is where you're going wrong. Mordecai being loyal to Esther. Nehemiah being loyal to the people. There is the vision of the walls. Let's get building. 52 days later, the wall's being built. So my question to you this morning as we're looking at this chapter is this. How loyal, how loyal are we? 1 Corinthians 13 verse 7. If you love someone, you'll be loyal to them no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. You'll always believe in them. Always expect the best of them. Always stand your ground in defending them. What's this verse say? No matter what the cost. One of the key things I think that separates Christians from unbelievers is our loyalty. When others have gone and left, we're there, we're there. Paying the price, blessing others, although it may mean a cost to us, time, financial, the verse goes on and says that if you love someone, then you'll believe in others. It means putting their trust, your trust in them. Always expecting the best of the other person. And you'll defend others. How good is it when you've got someone who, who's with you who says, you know, I've got your back. I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm going to support you. I'm going to help you in this. Just watching the news the last few days. People on television feeling, some feeling quite hopeless and helpless. Who do I go to? And others saying of their friends and community. Some of goes guys across the, my neighbours there across the fence who we didn't even talk about, came and got all our furniture out and took it up to their apartment to save it for us. Family and friends should never question our loyalty for if our loyalty is not questioned then our commitment won't be questioned and our faithfulness won't be questioned. And why are we loyal? So I close with this, why are we loyal? Because we have a loyal God. We have a God who stands with us even when we're weak God's mercy and grace is there, right there. Even when we're troubled, God's mercy and grace is right there for us. Even when we feel like the world is caving in upon us and so many things that we're having to deal with, God's mercy and grace is right there with us. Even when we feel we know we've let him down so many times, God's mercy and grace is right there for us. You get up every morning, the goodness of God is already awake and ready, chasing after you. Hebrews 13, 5. He will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus Christ is always present. John 10 28. No one says Jesus can pluck you from the Father's hand. And Lamentations 3.22. His compassion fails not. His mercies are new every morning. Do you know that this today? His mercies are new every morning. Whatever, whatever you and I are going through, God's goodness and his mercy is right there. Let's pray together. Father, it's an extraordinary story. We do, we read words of scripture, but we don't, of course, know everything that that a family experienced. But Lord, you never gave up. You continue to bless. Even though, Lord, they made so many mistakes, so many things that we would say, no, don't do that. Your mercy and grace was there, Lord, because you love us. You love your people. And Lord, if there are any here this morning, Lord, who need to be reminded of this, Lord, your mercy and grace is right here. Right here. We just need to say, Lord, come and fill me anew with your spirit. May the love and the grace of the Holy Spirit fill my very being, Lord, and flow from without flow from within me, Lord. mercy and grace new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, Jesus, thank you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we sing our final song, if you'd like prayer for anything, anything at all, you come down the front here. We'd love to pray with you. Let's sing together.
1: to your god I love you Lord in oh, this
0: Join us for morning tea in just a moment. Don't forget to wish Joan a happy birthday. Introduce yourself to Anita. You're going to have a great time. See you in two weeks. I'm going to do Ruth chapter 2. So let's pray as we close. Father, no better words than to finish with the words of Scripture. My God will fully satisfy every need of yours. According to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever Amen. Amen. As we prepare our hearts for a time of communion, let me read to you a few words from Hebrews chapter 9, talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And here's the key verse I want you to think about this morning. He entered once for all once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. If you've had a mortgage like I have, and you've received that letter from the bank as I did to say your mortgage is fully paid, you do not owe anything more. Oh, what a great feeling that is. You think about our Lord Jesus Christ, who with his own blood, not with the blood of goats and calves, they could only cover sin, as we know from the Old Testament. Our sin could only be removed through the blood of the Lamb of God. With his own blood, he has obtained for us eternal redemption. What a saviour we have. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just wanna say thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, as we're coming up to Easter time and thinking about, Lord, him giving his life for us. Thank you that our sins are not covered but they are removed as far as the east is from the west. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand before you today as a holy people, washed clean by the blood of the lamb, sanctified, set apart for you to use as you so choose. In this short time that we have, Lord, to remember the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave all for us, May our eyes and our hearts and our ears, Lord, be turned to him. In his precious name we pray, amen. On that last night that Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. So I invite you now to take the wafer, to eat, and as you eat, to think, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us eat together. the cup and said, this is the new covenant established in my blood. So let us drink together thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who gave all for us out of his deep love for you and for me, let us drink together. Father, our hearts are full of thanks today. We're the most blessed people in the whole world. Lord, your deep, deep love for us, your grace that never ends, your mercy, Lord, that knows no bounds. We are not to carry any guilt. We are not to carry any shame. We are to step into the world as a new people, a cleansed people, a washed people, proclaiming through the words that we say and the deeds that we do, that Christ is alive today. He who gave himself for us is alive in us through his Holy Spirit. And that we are your people, we belong to you. You are our God. Oh, Lord, we are so thankful. May our eyes remain on you at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us sing verse 4.